Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I would venture to guess that probably most of you here have have heard a sermon or two, or maybe more than that, on our gospel reading today, the, the parable of the talents, as it's known, perhaps on a stewardship Sunday or some other time like that. And that sermon might have gone something like this. That God gives each one of us an allotment of blessings, whether they be financial resources, time, energy, material things, abilities. And he expects that we use all of these things for the good of his kingdom. And like we see in the parable, God will ultimately reward those who are faithful, cast away those who are slothful. So be one of the faithful ones. Does that sound familiar? Seems to be an easy interpretation of this parable, meant to stir up our actions of faithful stewardship in all matters of God's blessings to us. But the question is, is that a correct interpretation of the parable? Is that what the parable, at least primarily, is all about? No doubt about it, God does give us tremendous blessings. Everything we have, everything we own, everything we are is a gift from God. And we should be wise and faithful stewards of it all. The Bible teaches in many places that we should be good stewards of the things he has given us. But is this parable one of those places? If it is, it actually presents us with a big problem. First of all, like we heard last week and like we'll hear again next week, these parables are all judgment parables. They are teaching us what it will be like when Jesus comes again on the last day to judge both the living and the dead. The master returning from his journey is Jesus returning to earth and the subsequent settling of accounts that takes place. Second, because this parable is about Judgment Day, if the moral of the parable is to teach us that God's favor is dependent upon how well we perform and steward things in life, then I've got news for you. We're all in trouble. After all, how will you ever know that you're doing a good enough job to earn God's favor and the gift of his eternal life at the end. Can you ever be certain of that? Is it even possible for us to be faithful enough servants? Well, to answer that, we need to take a closer look at this parable and understand what Jesus is teaching us today. And so we see that this parable starts off with a master who entrusted his wealth to his servants while he was gone on a journey. To one he gave five talents, to the second he gave two talents, and to the third he gave one. Now, as we know, the the first two went out and utilized the master's wealth and effectively doubled it. And and so when the master returned, they promised him his they, they presented him rather his property, what they had done since he had been gone, to which the master replied to both of them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But then the third one comes, and we know he acted differently than the rest. Upon receiving his master's money, he immediately buried it. And he only dug it up when his master returned. And why? Why does, why does he say that he did why he, what he did? Well, this is what he says. He says, Master... I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. 
And here's where we need to take some time to understand this, because this is the key to understanding this parable. The third servant seems to have a very negative view of the master, but is it an accurate view? He claims his master is hard and engages in very stingy and greedy and even immoral practices, causing the servant to be afraid. But we have no indication elsewhere that that description is actually true. Furthermore, we seem to have a fair bit of evidence that the opposite is true. At the outset of this parable in verse 14, the master entrusts his servants with a significant portion of his property. Would a hard and greedy and stingy man entrust so much of what was his with others for such a long period of time? And furthermore, let's talk a little bit about what a talent actually is. A talent is a, is a unit of, of weight measurement. It was designed to, to measure a fair bit of wealth. It was actually equal to 20 years' worth of daily wages. Now, last year, just doing a little bit of math, the median household income in Michigan was $68,000. So that means in today's money, the master entrusted that third servant with over $1.3 million dollars the second with $2.7 million, and that first servant with close to $7 million. That sounds more like an incredibly generous master, not a stingy one. And even more to the point, he has given each servant, it says, Jesus says in the parable, each according to his ability. He understands the limitations of each of his workers. He does not want to place an undue burden on any of them. This master seems to be a very understanding person, very reasonable in all that he does. And lastly, and most importantly, we know that this parable is ultimately about Jesus. Jesus is the one telling the parable about himself as the master. So to hear this servant in the parable called Jesus a hard and stingy and greedy person, that seems to be out of line. So what does this mean then? Well, all of this points to the fact that the issue in this parable is not that the third servant wasn't somehow faithful enough, and that's why he was punished. Rather, all of this points to the fact that the third servant chose to not be faithful at all. He refuses what his master had joyfully given him. He refuses to acknowledge the true identity of the master. He even goes so far as to disparage his master to his face. And that's why the master says, if you were truly afraid of me, you would have invested my money with the banker, so at least I would have received my own with interest. In other words... Let's just say that what he said was true, that he was fearful of the master, and that was the motivating factor. Well, then the servant would have at least done the bare minimum to avoid the wrath of his master. But you see, he didn't even do that. So it wasn't fear that was motivating the servant to do what he did. It was animosity. It was blatant despising his master. The servant dug a hole in the ground not because he was afraid, but because he chose to dishonor the master. And he did all of that because he lost sight of who his master truly was and who he was in light of his master. This is important 
for us to realize today, because otherwise we might walk out of church today having heard this parable and think that the lesson is somehow about our performance. And so we would be left constantly wondering if we're performing up to God's standards, uncertain if if we're doing well enough and if we're going to receive reward or punishment at the end. But in light of this third servant we realize that the first two servants weren't rewarded because of their performance, that they had met some kind of bar. Instead, they were rewarded because they fundamentally knew who their master was, and therefore they knew who they were in light of him. They were invited to share in the joy of living for and working for and ultimately receiving unending joy from their master. I mentioned earlier that this parable is misnamed. It's usually called the parable of the talents. It's not about the talents. This is the parable of the gracious master. Today, we are not servants of the Most High God because we have met some minimum threshold of performance. That's not actually possible for us in the first place. Apart from Christ, we know that we are dead in our trespasses and we are naturally opposed to God by our sinful nature. We cannot be faithful servants because of who we are. Instead, we are faithful servants, but not because of us. Instead, because of who our master is for us. Jesus, our master, who is coming in glory on the last day, he first came to us as a lowly servant himself. He willingly humbled himself in all manner of conception and birth and life and suffering and death. And although Jesus is the almighty God, he chose to become nothing, hanging on the cross as a symbol of sin and shame for us. The Son of Man came not to be served, he said, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what he did for you and for me. Jesus has given you your very life, not only this life and all that is in it, but your eternal life. A life that will have no end. There is no price you can place on this gift that he freely gives to you. We have a hard enough time wrapping our minds around the valuation of that talent, the talents that the first servant was given that was worth about $7 million. Try wrapping your mind around the price of God's own son, given in death and raised on the third day for you. What's more, the master, our Lord Jesus Christ, has now entrusted these precious gifts to you, not because of your qualifications as a servant, but despite your qualifications as a servant. He invests in you out of his mercy and grace for you, giving you everything he has won for you. And he will return again for you, this time not as a servant, but as our master, as the Lord and King over all. So how do we live until that day he returns? And what is expected of us? Well, as we mentioned, we are certainly given much by Jesus. Again, he has blessed us beyond all valuation with this life and the life to come. And and we are to live as faithful stewards of all of it, joyfully working in his kingdom like those first two servants who couldn't wait to share with their master all that they were given the opportunity to do. 
But let us not lose sight of the fact that Jesus is teaching us in this parable today that the question that will be asked of us on that last day will not be, how well did you perform? Rather, the question will be, do you know who I am? And do you know who you are in light of who I am? And to be absolutely clear, your master Jesus Christ is not hard and stingy and greedy. He is merciful and generous and gracious. He has made you his own. He has given you all that you will ever need. He forgives you all of your sins. And you are his servant, not because of what you have done for him, but rather because of what he has done for you. Therefore, you will be welcomed into the eternal joys of the master when he comes again because of him. To make this distinction absolutely clear that we are judged on mercy and grace, not performance. Dr. Jeff Gibbs, a Matthew scholar, writes the following, and I think it's so well written. He says, I imagine a conversation like this on the last day. One servant approaches the master and says, Lord, you entrusted these things to me, and I have gained this much, but there was so much more that I could and should have done. The master replies, yes, I am well aware that there was more that you could have done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. A second servant approaches the master and says, Lord, you entrusted this to me and I have gained an additional amount, but I was timid far too often. I failed to take advantage of all the opportunities present to me. The master replies, yes, I recall every detail of all the times when you were a coward. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The same verdict and divine joy await every Christian, Gibbs writes, not just those who served productively or faithfully enough, whatever that might conceivably mean. In the end and at the end, it matters only that Christ is my master who has purchased me and I have been his servant. You see, you have been entrusted with nothing less than the gift of faith to believe in Jesus and have eternal life with him. Therefore, like the first two servants, you do joyfully live to honor Christ. You do joyfully steward that which you've been given by him. You do joyfully work boldly, possibly even at great risk or even loss to yourself. Christians are willing to give up everything in this life for the sake of Christ and for the sake of those around us. But as we do all this, you realize At the end, you will lay it all at Jesus' feet, both the successes that he enabled you to have, as well as all of your failures. And we all will have failures. But you do not need to fear the failure. You do not need to fear that you have not measured up because you do not need to fear your master. You know who he is. He is kind and generous and merciful. He is Jesus. And Jesus has given himself and everything to you. And so as we work in the opportunities he gives us, we can do so with joy, not fear, as we greatly anticipate the day of his return, the day when we too will enter into the eternal joy of our merciful and generous master. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.